welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I'm a little hesitant to admit this, but I watched Labyrinth for the first time this weekend, and what a trip! I mean, on one hand, humiliating that it took me this long, but on another... I thankfully had a childhood completely unmarred by this film. I just didn't really see movies growing up. I think I've mentioned it on here, but I still to this day don't really even know why. I mean, blame my mom. I'm just going to blame her for it, who you will be hearing from in rare form at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. But I never, never saw Labyrinth. Never saw Labyrinth. And it finally happened for me. And... Oh my gosh, I texted one of my friends, well, a whole group chat of them, because Labyrinth somehow came up the day after I watched it? Okay, strange. And I confessed that I had not seen it, and they asked me what I thought, and I, honestly, my reaction is, just because you can doesn't mean you should, because I enjoyed it, but also, why? I'm gonna be very very choosy with my words because I know sometimes children sometimes children are in the room but why does David Bowie's downstairs look like that I mean I know why but like what why why didn't they just give him bigger pants why didn't they just give him bigger pants anyway it was it was good but it was not by any means the highlight of my weekend which was going Sunday afternoon to El Capitan Theater in Hollywood for official Disney food. I pre-ordered it during the week. I set up all of these alerts for El Capitan. You know, not for like work or business or anything like that, just to know when I could get a Mickey pretzel and hopefully not pay $12 in parking to get it. So I ordered a churro, I ordered a Mickey pretzel, salted. I very much appreciate that you could select salted or unsalted with cheese sauce. We'll get into it in a second. And two 64-ounce tubs of popcorn. Now, if you're like, oh, how sweet. You got that for like a cute little movie night with your husband. Like, you know, just a churro and a pretzel and two tubs of popcorn. You are gravely mistaken (laughs) because I ate almost one entire tub on the drive home. It's a 10-minute drive. And I ate the pretzel all alone in the kitchen to the point where Ben came in and was like, oh, hey, can I, where's the pretzel? And I was like, it's inside my body now. I ate the entire thing. Now the cheese sauce, I know I I have a lot of thoughts about cheese. I don't like peel top cheese at the parks, but if this peel top cheese that they had at the El Cap was in the parks, I would have no problem. I would have zero issue because it was a little spicy. I had like a little something going on and I liked it much, much, much more than the cheese you get with the Mickey pretzels at like Magic Kingdom. Blah. This was fantastic. I really liked it. And weirdly, I mean, I'm not, I'm not dieting as evidenced by all of the words that just came out of my mouth, but this cheese was very good. Better than like jarred salsa con queso, anything like that. And it was, I think, 100 calories, which in my brain, instead of being like, wow, that's not terrible for me, I go, okay, so if a daily average calorie is between like 2,000 and 2,500, can I eat 25 of these in a day and that would be socially appropriate? I need to eat a green. I think think that's the moral of the story. I need to maybe eat a vegetable once in a while. But anyway, 
The experience was fantastic. It was so easy and organized. I, I just like walked in, I checked in, they were waiting for me. It, it felt very nice. They had merch for sale. They had this really cool Hocus Pocus shirt. It was kind of like a whisper of what Halloween season at Disneyland might have been because the popcorn even came in these like adorable Disneyland buckets. Ugh, I can't think about it. It'll bum me out too much, but it was a delight. And also the people who worked there deemed me best dressed of the day, which was not a title I was expecting because I accidentally wore a mask that matched my house dress. I'm fully wearing a house dress. I'm still wearing it. Uh, this is the same day. This isn't like four days later, but I, they told me I was best dressed and it was a compliment that I really needed, I think, because I don't leave the house very much. But I also ran into someone who said that they love the podcast? I believe your name was Nora. So if you're listening, Nora, thank you so much. Uh, it was wonderful to meet you. And I'm sorry I couldn't leave my sticker of social distancing that I was stuck on, like a little tiny plastic island. But it was wonderful to meet you. And I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't gab. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Moving on, because I will dwell on the fact that I ate two tubs of popcorn and I didn't buy a third in anticipation of wanting a third for too long. We are one week into our Patreon, and it has been very fun. This past week was spent rolling out the welcome wagon, and I cannot wait to share everything that comes next. So patrons, stay tuned for more shenanigans later this week. You won't want to miss it. A portion of all first week signups are going to be donated to Second Harvest Food Bank in Central Florida and Orange County to benefit theme park employees in need. And on top of that, the member-founded Facebook Foamily 5K and Raffle is still going strong and creeping towards, oh my gosh, $20,000. There's so much happening and it's filling me with so much joy. You can still join the 5K and Raffle and I will give you all those details at the end of the episode. But just wanted to remind you up top that it all goes down this weekend. So stay tuned to Instagram and the Foamily Facebook group to follow along and hopefully, you know, briskly walk a 5K and win the raffle. That's everything that's happening on my end as I sit here anxiously awaiting being razzed on Twitter for not having watched Labyrinth as a child. I don't know what I was doing as a kid, you guys. I don't know. I don't know. But stick around anyway, please. Let me redeem myself. We've got theme park news up next, and then we'll be, not to misfrizzle you, but surfing the waves of knowledge and learning all about how our favorite stuff at theme parks is actually made. Stick around. This one's a good one. Right. I have been typing this over and over all day today on social media for a story I'm trying to finish, but I just wanted to come on here and blast it out in case you haven't heard yet. The state of California today released their guidelines for reopening theme parks, and it is, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. Essentially, what you need to know is that the reopening is going to be determined by what the COVID case rate is county by county. So it's not statewide. That means two things. It means that these parks may have a while before they open and that the parks will probably and maybe open at different times. Now, to give you an update, this is as of Tuesday and the tiers are purple is the highest one. It goes purple, red, orange, yellow. Yellow being that you basically have COVID under control. You are getting one or less cases per 100,000 people in your county. Currently, Orange County, which is home to Disneyland Resort and Knott's Berry Farm, 
is red. That is the second highest tier of the four. Los Angeles County Universal is purple, which is the highest ranked tier. So both towns have a bit of a way to go. It's going to be possibly a long process. It's really hard to tell because my work doesn't usually uh, leave me to cover statewide public health dealings, but Essentially, both of them have to get to yellow to be able to reopen. When the parks do reopen, they will be obligated to follow a lot of the same things that have been happening in Florida. Masks will be required at all times unless you are eating or drinking. These parks will be limited to 25% capacity. But one of the more interesting details that I want to share is that cues will need to be performed in an outdoor setting only. That language comes directly from the state. I was a little confused about this, but my friends Brooke and Valerie were able to confirm it. That means that most likely you may not be seeing some pre-shows. You will not be standing inside ride buildings. And that will greatly change what the park experience is like because you could be visiting a park like Universal or a park like Disneyland completely differently if it is entirely virtual queues or leaning heavily, heavily, heavily on something like a return time or a fast pass system. So we'll find out more TBD question mark, question mark, exclamation point. So yeah, that came out yesterday. Disneyland Resort released a statement. Uh, Ken Potrock, the president of Disneyland Resort, said that how... Oh, I won't paraphrase. I'll read directly. Uh, We have proven that we can responsibly reopen with science-backed health and safety protocols strictly enforced at our theme park properties around the world. So stay tuned. I don't know what happens next, but hopefully as these counties do move towards yellow, theme parks aside, it means that our communities are safer and healthier and people are handling the virus in a more responsible way and things are more under control. So that is something I believe we can all root for. Stay tuned. I will post any other updates on my social media throughout the week. Otherwise, let's get into the episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to the first half of our two-part exploration of how things work and how they're made. If you know anything about me, you know I am very easily wowed. But this two-part series is all about me taking you on a journey through things I myself don't really know much about. In this episode, we'll cover a stunt show that completely blew me away when I first saw it, and the secret details of walk-around characters that will surprise, delight, and hopefully wow you too. 
We're focusing on the cross-section of design and tech, proficiency in engineering and creativity and masterful handiwork and immersive forward-thinking projects, all of which are not typically the nuts and bolts of what I report on. So I'm going to take a bit of a sidecar on this one and let the experts lead the way. Unlike some other episodes, these will mostly be full interviews with the folks who create these boundary-pushing experiences or just study them day in and day out. Stunt shows, ride tech, audio animatronics, projection mapping, experiential design. I've covered it all and definitely no more than the average person who sadly gets stuck with me at a cocktail party and I talk their ear off. But I just wanted to dig a little deeper just for you, theme park fans, my fellow friends, and bring you things I'm personally curious about from the point of view of those who know it firsthand. In this episode, we're going to learn about theme park character development. And first off, Understand what it takes to create a boundary-bending staged stunt show. When the Bourne Stuntacular opened this past summer in Universal Studios Florida, it was unlike what many theme park guests had experienced before. It's not that Universal doesn't excel at bringing movie-style stunts to a theme park audience. Just look at the longevity of Waterworld at Universal Studios Hollywood, which is on its 25th year. The difference here is that the Bourne Stuntacular is as cutting edge as a theme park stage show gets. With a mix of digital video and green screen, set pieces, stunts, acting, and high-flying moves, it's hard to believe they even pulled it off in the first place. The show opened over the summer, so naturally, many of you might not have seen it yet. But trust me when I say... It's unlike anything else I have ever seen within a theme park in my entire career. The stuntacular starts with the character playing Jason Bourne in a street fight with another performer. It's around then that the mind games kick in. A crowd cheering them on mixes practical actors and digital ones projected on the show's 3,600 square foot LED screen. This huge thing has 5,000 panels on it, stretching 28 feet tall and 130 feet wide, using over 19 million pixels to create realistic imagery that acts as another layer of storytelling on stage. Throughout the show, you find yourself somewhat bewildered by it. You know it's a screen, you know you're not in Tangier, but it looks so real. And at certain times specifically, it seamlessly blends together, confusing your eye into believing you've been transported somewhere else. The true testament of impeccable theme park design. The Born Stentacular takes its audience on a helicopter flight above Dubai, a high-stakes motorcycle chase, and even a rooftop shootout and balcony face-off, all while pulling off some feats on stage and screen that, frankly, I cannot believe no one in any meeting went, that's just too hard, let's not do it. Even the set pieces move automatically, like trackless ride vehicles, gliding on and off stage. This one really aimed for the moon and kind of landed on the moon, not among the stars. It's not every day that an experience like this actually comes to fruition, so I had to get someone on the phone to tell me how they pulled this thing off. Thankfully, Deborah Bynack, Vice President of Entertainment at Universal Orlando Resort, was just the person to discuss this unbelievably ambitious experience with me. Now, if you haven't seen the show, don't worry. This is still going to be a really, really interesting chat. Deborah got pretty candid about the challenges involved in making a stunt show of this caliber a reality, while also discussing how difficult some of these stunts really are. Even telling us about the time that the stuntacular looked so good on stage, it tricked some of her coworkers. 
Hey, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to talk to you about The Born Stuntacular. I was able to see it when I was in Florida, um, I guess a couple months ago at this point, and I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm so excited about that. I didn't really know what to expect because you guys were giving it a, a real tight secret. Like there was no video. I didn't really know what was going to happen except for that preview you did. And I was very wide eyed and childlike the entire time. That is exactly the kind of thing we want to hear. That is awesome. We did we did keep it on the down low for a little while. We wanted it to be a, a surprise when people saw it, uh, meet some maybe underestimated expectations. So I'm so glad you loved it. Oh my gosh, I loved it. I hope it's all right that I'm going to ask you so many questions about it because my main takeaway was just not understanding how it worked because there are so many overlapping technologies and effects that kind of fool your brain into thinking you're seeing something in real life when it's really just a staged production. And I'm I'm dying to know how it works. But I should start from the beginning and ask you, how was this show formulated? Well, when we started, we were really looking to do something that a whole group could do together. We wanted an attraction in the park that you didn't have to separate from your your family, your friends. If you were afraid of heights or you had a height restriction, we wanted everybody to be able to stay together and spend some time together. And this would be a 20 minute out of the heat and humidity and weather and get to hang out. So we started with that. But with that in mind, we still have this expectation that is Universal Orlando, that everything is thrilling and very immersive and fun. So we had to combine all those things, but yet still have the whole family stay together. So we thought a stunt show inside could do that. And that's that's sort of where we started from. And then it grew from there. And did the idea of the show or the tech that you were able to put into it come first? It's, you know, that's the good chicken and egg question that is always, (laughs) even looking back on it, we're like, where did we, where did we start? It was really just these conversations of, we want to do this story, but we have this reputation of this high tech quality, immersive environments that Universal does. So we have to combine all those things and sort of have them run parallel and make sure we're doing both at the same time. So the story, I guess, drives everything. That's where we started. But then we were like, but this could be really cool because we could do this show, but we want it to be in different locations. We want to move around. We don't want to stay in one place. So what if we had this really cool screen that could take us to different locations? We could move around the world. We could go to Dubai. We could go to back to Washington. We could go to Tangier. We could do all these things. But we didn't want it to just be a screen show either. We wanted it to be immersive and come to life and have the actors. So what you said earlier, it really is layers. It's layers of the screen. And then if we have these moving buildings in front of that, and how do we match them perfectly to the screen and then have live actors on that, bringing that to life. And then at the end, we threw in, let's do some projection mapping too. So from the why not the audience yeah why not let's just just keep throwing stuff in there where's a kitchen sink i'm sure we can find one throw that in there uh so just keep throwing stuff on there and 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 that's sort of where it started let's put all this stuff together it's so interesting to me because it the whole show itself feels very blue sky it feels like what you started with and then the final product isn't too far from that it doesn't seem like things were budget engineered or really cut out because you are taken to so many locations and there are so many different types of stunts. So was this show 
created with stunt people in mind? Were they part of the process or did everything just magically come together? No, it absolutely, we started with, we wanted it to be a stunt show. We wanted a live performer show and we were trying to think, we'd done a lot of musical things lately and we wanted that action and thrill and an edge of your seat. So stunts was really a big part of that. And it's, stunt shows are sort of at the core of universal theme park history. We've always had a stunt stunt show in the parks and we we wanted to get back to that and make sure we we kept that alive. So they were always a big part of it and they that human connection having those live performers in the the theater with you and with the audience was really important to us and they they bring that that excitement and connection and energy to the show. And what was their reaction when you started finalizing the show and casting people because I have to assume that like me they were not expecting what this final product was. Carly, they all thought we were nuts. Everybody <laughs> thought that we were completely out of our minds. When we when we started this and we thought, okay, here's the different teams that we're going to need to bring together. We're going to need somebody to build the digital media. We're going to need somebody to, to put together this show action equipment on the stage. We're going to need these live performers. When we put them all in a room and said, okay, so here's our idea. Here's what we're going to do. The looks on their faces was like, you are all completely mad. You have lost your minds. But hey, I mean, we'll go with you. This sounds this sounds fun and exciting. So everybody got on board together really quickly and said, let's just do it. Let's do it. And and you're right. It isn't too far at all from, from the concept drawings. When we start and start putting stuff in ink and looking at what we want to do, we still start with that process of a, a deck with just pictures. And when I, I always at the end of a project hang the original artwork in my office of what we started with, and it looks pretty much exactly like what you can go see in the theater right now. So it, it, it turned out pretty, pretty cool, pretty accurate to what we thought. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was the whole and, and everybody that we got involved were just the perfect partners from from Sinsight, who was building the digital media and Action Horizons, our stunt people and Tate. They do these amazing concert show equipment, and, and they all were just so on board with us and our partners here at Universal Creative and Universal Pictures and the Ludlum Estate. Everybody just bonded so well and got along so well. It made it easy and fun. And, and yeah, there were challenges and hard times where we all looked at each other and weren't quite sure what we were doing, but we stuck together and, and it, was, it turned out all right. And what was the most challenging part of this show? Is there any one stunt in particular that you thought might not make it in, but after a while you kind of like, you kind of finally figured it out? So, you know, high falls are always that danger aspect that you, you, you know, that's the point though. You want people to cringe and gasp and, and so you do. And there's a reason that everybody cringes and gasps because it's, it's scary and it's dangerous. So, but our, our partners at Action Horizons, there's this premier stunt company. They, they're in all kinds of blockbuster movies. That's what they do. They know how to do this. And we've worked with them before in all of our parks around the world. Uh, so they gave us a really good confidence and comfort level. They're like, we can do this. You guys can do this. Don't, don't be nervous. Don't be scared. We would never do anything that is not not safe and and we'll take care of you guys and and our people and and so yeah there were moments that we were like that's going to be scary but we did it right and and we did it with the right people and they gave us this confidence that that it's it's okay it's all it's all good <laughs> and the choreography of the show has to be so tight to make sure that every cue is met was that difficult in getting the show off the ground just to make sure that every single scene worked because some of those transitions are very close. Yeah. So when you talk about what the biggest challenge of the show is, you just hit it. Everything having to be matched up so closely and we were doing it 
all over North America. So the, the digital media was being built in Canada and the stunt performers were a little bit in California where Action Horizon is based. And then they moved here to Orlando. The show action equipment was being built in Pennsylvania. And all this is going on simultaneously. But like you said, it all has to match. It all has to be seamless. And it all has to have these transitions. And so getting everybody on the same page from something as simple as the color and paint on the buildings have to match perfectly to the digital media and then they all have to move at the exact same time and the performers have to be able to jump to them at the same time but they're training on equipment that we're literally dragging across a soundstage with ropes i mean it, it was crazy uh to get all that to match up so yeah the challenges you're talking about you you know you're right on that's what the challenges were and but you know we got there once we got everybody to orlando and synced everybody up uh, it, it started to roll pretty good. I'm sitting here like, this is just too hard. <laughs> you should have just thrown <laughs> in the towel. <laughs> Believe me, I, I had the towel in my hand at points, but never my the team never let me quite throw it. Uh, so oh they were they were awesome. They it was really everybody picking each other up when somebody was like, I don't know. And then somebody else would come in and go, Yeah, you know, yeah, we're gonna do this thing. Come on. We'll figure it out and and everybody did everybody everybody did it was it was amazing oh my gosh uh i'd like to talk about my favorite part which you alluded to a moment ago which is how the real life set pieces match the environment how how did you pull that off particularly in the marketplace scene when my eyes were falling out of my head because i was like i know i am i know i'm in a theme park but still my brain thinks there's more here yeah, it was it was amazing. The the folks that did the digital video for us, they did a combination of going out and actually filming things. So they went to these places and filmed rooftops, and then they combined that with green screen where they filmed performers on a green screen, and then they put in digital over that. So all of that combined to make that all look so real. If we hadn't gone, if they hadn't gone and filmed it, and we were just doing it digitally, it it wouldn't have worked. We don't think it it had to be. A combination of all of those things and then our folks that were building the buildings and the sets for the rooftops they had to find a way to match paints and and we had some challenges of okay we're painting this in pennsylvania but then we're going to get here and the lighting in the theater is going to be different once we have it on the big screen and now we're changing lighting do we need to repaint things can we repaint things is that going to damage something can the stunt performers jump on this paint without slipping off it was it's all of that that had to really come together and it took time it took time for us to and we built in that time uh so that we could look at it put new lights on it repaint it jump on it see if we slipped on it so it, it took a lot but but they did a great job with it how long start to finish did this show take to create a little over three years so wow yeah a little over three years we started again with some drawings on a paper of this is sort of what we thought. Uh, we called Universal Pictures and we had this interest in Born and thought it would be a great fit. So we got them on board. And then we went to, once we got all of our partners together, we went to California and rented a warehouse and built everything like a mock setup. Uh, we put up a, just a, a screen, a front projection screen. It wasn't an LED or anything. We put up a screen, uh, built some cardboard some sets and things like that and drag them around to see if we could move in time with something we had filmed and and we just wanted to make sure it could work we did a proof of concept out there and once we all sort of thought this could this is this this works this could be a thing 
this could be a thing. And we went from there. So yeah, that was our, our first steps in the process. Uh, and then once we, we took our executives out there and showed them, see, we can do this. We can match this moving stuff to the screen and performers. We can combine all this stuff. They gave us the green light and and then we were we were off to the races. Wow, it's such a big ambitious idea and to see it come to life and actually come together so well is it's just mind melding. Uh, I would love to know more about the screen because the screen is clearly a star of the show, but I, I don't know why it's so impressive. <laughs> that's that's what we all said and we at first thought, we just need a background. The, the screen is a background. It's going to take us from place to place. That's what we need it for. And then it just became more as we kept talking about it and going, let's go film things. Let's do the digital on top of that. It, it, became, its, it became its own star. And we didn't expect that either. Uh, but it certainly, it certainly makes the immersive part of the show. So it's 28 feet tall. It's 130 feet wide. There's over 5,000 panels on it. And get this, 19 million pixels all over that <laughs> screen. And that's what makes the, the, the image so real and, and makes us go, is that an actual clothesline or is that a set? Is that a, a, a can sitting there? Is that guy real? A cool story. Uh, when we only had the screen in, we didn't have anything else on the stage yet. We were running the the media over and over, and at one point we were pulling a building or two in or out, and our executives came to just check in on us, as they do, just make sure that we're not over there goofing around. But they they showed up to to make sure we were making some progress. And so they said, you know, set our expectations. What are we going to see? And I said, we're going to run some film. We'll we'll bring a building on so you can see how the building, and it was the Dubai apartment building, if you remember that scene, that was coming on. And I said, you'll see that pull in, and you'll see the transition, and then you'll you'll see some other things. We don't have any performers right now. It's their first week here, so they're, they won't be on the stage, but we'll, we'll go from there. So we start up the film. They're all watching it. It's great. Uh, we even have the lights on in the theater, so it's not even set perfectly, but they're they're looking at it. And, and then there's the scene where one of the bad guys swoops in on a helicopter, and he's chasing Bourne, and the Dubai building is there. And so the the executive standing next to me looks at me and said, "I thought you guys didn't have, I thought you didn't have performers here today." And I said, "Yeah, oh. we we don't, <laughs> we don't. That's that's a filmed performer. That's the film." And they were blown away. They for sure thought that we had somebody in the theater dangling from a line. And I was like, "No, nope." And I think that was the first time that I thought this is going to work. This is going to work. This screen is going to be a star, and this is going to work. Oh my gosh! Because I have to assume three years is is a, a longer frame of time for creating a show. Yeah, for show it is. That is, we're usually uh, entertainment's usually the quick and nimble group on property. When we need something new, fun, and fast, they throw it at us, and we can get something into the park pretty quickly. But they gave us some some time on this and knew it would be more than just a show. They knew it would be a a full blown attraction for our guests and and give them a destination to go to in the park. And, and so they gave us some time, which was awesome. And do you have a personal favorite part of the show? I don't even want to, It feels weird to call it a show. I feel like I have to say attraction. Do you have a personal favorite part of the attraction? Yeah, I like the slow motion minute. That's, yeah, that's cool to me where I everything love that goes too. into slow motion. <laughs> I, I, I was skeptical about that. I was one of the people going, ah, I don't know. Maybe we just go back to regular speed. And they're like, just give us a second and we'll show you. And and it it's now one of my favorite favorite parts and i love the audience reaction to that although we get a great gasp on the falls and the and the stunts when it goes into slow motion i think it's to the point where people are like 
what are they doing? They're, they're now doing this. What, what are they doing? What's next? So uh, there's, a, there's an audible reaction to that moment, which I enjoy standing in the back and, and watching. Wow. Um, uh, this has been incredible. I, I asked every question I had, but is there anything else about the show I should know that we may not have touched on? Uh, there, you know, our relationship with Universal Pictures, especially Frank Marshall, was just amazing to us in this. He he was the producer on the films, and usually our relationship in that manner is just a quick approval. They're checking things off for us in a box, and he just dove in and got involved with us and was this amazing mentor and supportive and showed up down here. And when we were in rough times and and not having the most fun, he came in and would tell us a great story about something he went through and how to get through it and what to do. So his participation was just really cool. And I just want to make sure I, I throw out some credit to him and, and how supportive he was in getting us through this process. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for telling me some more behind the scenes stuff about this show that I am personally obsessed with. I cannot wait to see it again. And thank you so much for creating it. Yeah, no, thank you for letting me hang out with you a bit. You have this amazing positive energy that we've all been listening to on your podcast, and we all need that right now. So thanks for letting me be a, a part of that and hanging out with you for a bit. It was awesome. Next time you come, let me know. We'll, we'll go check out the show together. Oh, I would love to. I went like alone and just sat in the corner and was like, this is the best. <laughs> so, That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a good way to experience time. it. And next time come and I'll, I'll show you some secrets while we're hanging out. <gasps> some secrets? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You heard it. She's going to show me some secrets. It's wild, right? She also touched on another of my favorite way things are made by testing something out in an abandoned warehouse. It's something we never, ever see, but always hear about randomly years down the road. And it delights me that these empty cavernous spaces can become home to such magic. If you're curious for more, Universal put out their own behind-the-scenes video of how it's done, and it's really cool to see the actors go in these, these little elevators to the bottom of the stage. They look like those tubes at the bank where you shove things through and they magically disappear. It's cool! I also wanted to add that, according to Orlando Business Journal, there's even a hidden T2-3D Easter egg somewhere in the back of the theater to pay homage to the show that previously occupied that space. So, if you're attending, ask a team member to point it out so you can see it. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, 
And even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. There are certain parts of the theme park experience that, personally, I find more fascinating than other ones. We're always talking about ride vehicles and roller coaster airtime and trackless this or that, but I'm often most curious about the things we don't focus on, like characters. At Disney Parks, I love to meet Goofy for his personality, Sully from Monsters, Inc., just for his size, and Kevin at Animal Kingdom, which... Ah, makes for a transcendent experience. But Universal has one of my all-time favorite in-park characters, Guy Diamond from the Trolls films. To me, this shining silver disco ball of a guy makes for an extraordinary meet-and-greet experience, because when you meet a regular character, you're never usually waiting for some grand finale like you are with this one, because Guy Diamond farts glitter. Yes. Yes, you heard that right. He farts Real glitter. <laughs> now, seeing any on-screen character in real life is a wonderful experience, but knowing there's a chance, either during your moment with him or another guest's, that something special is going to happen has elevated the entire character meet landscape, in my opinion. Now, parents, there is some discussion of character meet and greets ahead, and since this is a How Things Work episode... Please keep that in mind going forward. Nothing is too egregious, but we do heavily acknowledge kind of how the magic is made. So I just want you to know that up top. Bringing films and stories to life by way of finally seeing something on screen come to life in person for the very first time is what theme and amusement parks are all about. And Ryan Rhodes of Custom Characters Incorporated is responsible for many of those moments. The reason I wanted to speak with Ryan wasn't to find out anything salacious, like some outlets kind of like to do when talking about theme park characters. I truly wanted to celebrate how real and lifelike these costume characters he creates are, and to honor someone who isn't really ever publicly given the acknowledgement he deserves. Ryan is absolutely fascinating, but we also spoke very freely about a lot of things, and I wanted to honor his candor without giving too much away, so I bleeped more things than I usually do. That beloved Star Wars chime is often used to cover profanity, but here, it's just to protect from whatever NDA I am concerned he may have signed and ruined by saying a few specific words out loud. But essentially, this dude does it all and is exceptional at everything he puts his mind to. And I'm so pleased that he allowed me to call him up and talk directly with the character master to let theme park fans in on how these magical experiences are really made. I know, I know, it's it's generally looked down upon to share the way things work at theme parks, since keeping things magical for guests is extremely important. But I truly believe, after this conversation, anyone who already liked this character will walk away with a renewed appreciation for it. And anyone who hasn't yet met Guy Diamond, or never wanted to, will immediately want to. I think you're really gonna enjoy this segment. 
So here's Ryan telling me how he got his start and how he gets things done. Basically, we started the company in 1985 in a garage. Wow. And it grew really quickly because... Uh, we were discovered by people I can talk about. Our first big projects were went, were sectars for Coleco and Cabbage Patch Kids for Coleco, which we made hundreds of. Hundreds of full-size characters? Yeah. Hundreds? So, <laughs> hundreds. Uh, we do, right now we're doing, um, I don't know, we've probably made, we're doing hundreds of right now, and we'll probably do, probably made eight or nine hundred for all the parks all around the world. It's a big operation. There's a lot of, we make so many costumes your head would spin. Oh my gosh, you're really like, you're the character god. Well, I'm, I work like, you know, I'm 70 and I'm still working a 65 to 70 hour week, so. Oh my gosh. Which is okay, I like it. And but anyway, you know, so yeah, what we do is if you go to the park and you see a bunch of big characters wandering around, that's what we make. So um, then, you know, most of our major clients have been Disney, um, Universal, DreamWorks, and um, Nickelodeon, and a lot of others. What to tell you, it's the, the process is very, it's, most people would never guess how much really goes into these costumes. You know, I'll say, well, I'll tell them what we do. Oh, so you sew? <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> Some people at the business sew, yeah. <laughs> but no, we, everything is sculpted in foam. All the heads I sculpt in foam, and then they're cast in plaster, and then they're turned into fiberglass, and then they're pulled in plastic, and... Then there's a ton of art and craft work into finishing them, like like the the trolls. You know that was it's interesting that you're interested in in Guy Diamond because that was really tricky. First, the trolls you've got like three feet of hair that has to stand straight up, and you know gravity is kind of like uh uh-uh. uh. So you get that going, and everything was going well. We'd made you know hundreds of trolls, and then. Uh, they bring in Guy Diamond, who not only is covered in glitter, but farts it. And, and they want that. So I don't know if you're aware that the Guy Diamonds actually fart glitter. Oh, I'm well aware. And that is exactly why I wanted to talk to you. Oh. <laughs> because that, that to me seems like such, uh, such ingenuity to be able to do that. And I was so curious about how you even innovate and invent something like that. Well, that was a tricky one, a really tricky one, and we had to get, um, yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, and the problem is the glitter tends to pack down and doesn't want to get blown out. <laughs> so, um, you know, you can't give max likes or anything, so um, basically, in the end, in order to get the glitter to work, we they had to start jumping up and down a little just before they did it. <laughs> Oh, and that kind of loosened the glitter, and then it would blow out. And is that just something that you found through trial and error of the character being in the park? Yeah, just through trial and error. We didn't know what to do, you know? I mean, because, you know, we're trying it as many times as we can here to make sure it works. And we found just, you know, oh, just time to jump up and down three times. It's kind of cute when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, my so, I don't know. I guess they're still all using them that way. And then it was difficult because the first ones we really didn't know what to do. And all we could do is glue glitter all over the costume. And it, they got really stiff and hard. And everywhere you go, the glitter's falling off. And then finally, this, um, this brilliant assistant I had at the time thought to have um, some silver sequin fabric sublimated into the right color and it worked it was just it was just night and day all of a sudden it was beautiful it held up it didn't fall off so is it a normal process to redo costumes like you did with guy diamond um no rarely that happens because most costumes go through a, a real approval process and that's it they just stay what they are for the most part forever uh, because, you know, after all these years, you know what works, what doesn't. All of the um, all of the artistic directors from the company buy off on everything each step of the way. So by the time it goes out the door, you're documenting it. You know just exactly how to make it again. And from then on, you just keep making them exactly the same. With Guy Diamond, I mean, even, you know, there was, in the beginning, there was just no idea of how on earth to do it besides with glitter on and see what happens. And it, they worked. People were happy. It still was a lot of fun, and the kids loved it. But for the other thing for us is when we build, it isn't just about making it look cute. You've got to deal with safety, performer comfort. You've got to deal with weight. You've got to deal with ventilation. You've got to deal with longevity because the parks don't want something. that They want it to last for a few years, maybe with some refurb. But it's got to last. That process you mentioned of creating a character from start to finish, how long does that typically take? But the actual process is usually about um, 8 to 10 weeks, sometimes 16 or 20, depending on what it is. Wow. Like uh, a simpler costume. Hour-wise, it's not that bad, but there's a lot to do with getting approvals, get, begging clients for reference, getting all the right colors. Some more complicated costumes, like we did a, a cyborg cyborg costume. Oh. And that thing is just, you know, it was so labor-intensive. That was more like six to eight months. But that's rare. How much does making, a, making one of these characters cost? Ooh, I don't like to say that. Um, it's a big, it's a big, yeah, I never give out prices. But it's, it's expensive, I would assume. They're very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure people know that this isn't some low-quality costume factory. <laughs> no, um, oh, I don't know what I want to say. Usually, we're kind of like very, you know, it's in, it can be in, it's, it's always in the thousands. It's often in the tens of thousands. And, and some of the costumes, like a cyborg or something, can be way up there. Cool. I love that you have such a, such a wide span of different things you can make. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the great thing about this business is it's always something different. You never know what kind of odd thing is going to, you know, come through the door that they want you to make. I do want to go back to Guy Diamond for a minute. Uh, yeah. I'd love to know more about, I can't believe this is a real sentence, how Guy farts glitter. <laughs> There's a big tube filled with glitter and a button they push so that it's got a ca air canister in it so when you push a button 
it blows a shot of air through the through a little place where the glitter from the tube has dropped down into. So if it gets packed in there too tightly, you kind of got to jiggle it. <laughs> but so I just imagine a tube filled with glitter, and there's a little place at the end that the glitter can drop into. And then, and on one side of that, there's a hose hooked up to a canister. So when the person inside pushes a button, it it shoots air through through that, and then the um, it blows the the glitter out. I think that's one of the biggest hits ever of any costume going out for a debut. People were just falling all over themselves, and there were videos all over the internet. We went on to discuss how he created this massive, beyond life-size creation of Mr. Link from the film Missing Link, a stunning like a movie that you should absolutely watch if you have not. And I know coming from me, <laughs> that means nothing, all things considered. But still, it is absolutely exceptional, and the character they created from it, you won't, you won't believe your eyes when you see a photo of it. Ryan and I went on to discuss something I cannot include in here, but essentially, we just talked about what it's like to bring someone else's artistic vision to life and how rewarding that process can be. I mean, how does that feel to take someone's idea and make it something 3D in real life that they can hug? Oh, well, um, <laughs> I, I love it. I love when, when I see people are happy. I, and a lot of times I get to, what's most exciting for me is when I get to do the design in myself. Because I designed the parade. That's in, that was probably one of the highlights of my life and some other things I've gotten to design and, and execute. It's so much. I wish you were here. You'd be in shock all the things we've done. I'll tell you that one of the biggest, biggest ever was, you know that movie, um, How to Train Your Dragon? Yeah. And we did uh, uh, Toothless the Dragon. He's like 18 feet long. And some big old guy has to get in there, you know, on all four. Not on all fours. He's got crutches under his front arms. He's going to bend over. And that thing was just the biggest hit everywhere it went. It really was sweet and beautiful. And I have all these images of it. Stole the show at the Cannes Film Festival that year. Wow. And all the photographers were going for that. And I have these big pictures of Kate Blanchett, you know, being with it and loving <laughs> it. And so we get a, we're lucky. We get a lot of really great feedback that, you know, a lot of people don't get in their jobs probably. So, it's, I, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great. I'm going on and on and on. Why don't you stop me? <laughs> no, because I love hearing. This is so fascinating. It's like, it's truly like talking to a creator genius, like someone that I never thought I could speak to on the phone who has made so many things that so many people love. Oh, it's all just you never know what you're going to get. You just got to make your materials obey you, even if they don't want to do what you want them to do. And and you got to nail it. And it is really challenging. But at the end, you really get this you get something and you see people just loving it. You must make hundreds of these a year, I assume. Oh, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. I How big is your... We have a crew of about 50 people. Wow. 50 it, it averages people? between 45 40 to 50, somewhere in there usually. Most of them have been with us for a long time. A lot of them, 20, 30 years. So we have a, this incredible crew, really knows everything inside and out, really great to work with. With. And uh, that makes it great, you know. You're not. Uh, I don't know. It's just like it, it's just 
something that's been built up and built up and built up. The teamwork is amazing. So that's why we can produce that many. Because right now we're under the gun like crazy, which is weird when most of the world is has no work and is staying home. And we're building a whole new park for... Oh, wow. Universal so you're doing all the characters. All, a giant parade and all the characters to populate that park. Because when we develop a character... It's it's not just for one person. Like if you develop a character for, um, it goes to parks all the way around the world. The whole world's building parks constantly because people are just so addicted to. Well, they're nearly as addicted to these characters as they are to their phones. So, I mean, so as someone interviewing we'll you for a theme park project, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get orders from all over the world. We're, we're making stuff all the time for Japan for for China, for Singapore, for Europe, for you name it. They just go out all the time internationally. I mean, like we did the whole new park in Dubai. And when you mentioned that you were doing, I think you said 900. Like when someone orders... Well, that's about how many we've... That's about probably how many we've made over the years. Right now we're doing a few more hundred. When someone orders a character, how many of that character do you typically provide them? There's so many different, I mean, there's like, I don't know, 10 or 12 different ones. So they'll order five of this and 10 of that, and, and then they want different outfits for them. Your workspace must look like a, a, like a dry cleaners for giants. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's very hard. Um, we really, really have to manage the space well. We have two giant buildings, but um, it, it would be impossible to move. It'd be nice to have more space, but we just... <laughs> keep editing and you know every few years you just throw out molds and patterns of anything you think won't be used and but we have um thousands of documented costumes that somebody could order anytime right now most of our like for this year we're not even um accepting work until for next spring wow in in this economy yeah. <laughs> I know. It feels weird. I don't say it to too many people, but we're very, very lucky. Is there anything else about what you do that you think someone who isn't familiar with this craft would be perhaps interested or fascinated by? One weird thing about this business is, you know, almost everything we do, we just figured it out and made it up. You don't <laughs> learn this. You might learn some arts and crafts here and there in your life, but nobody teaches this in school seriously. Your departments touch on it, but um, it's really a unique, unique business. Okay, so I just found out that Disney discontinued the blueberry croissant bread pudding at Epcot. And Carly, this is kind of like your caramel corn at caramel. I don't even want to pronounce it because I'll pronounce it wrong. Anyways. The blueberry bread pudding is gone and I am in distress. Goodbye. Considered 747 churros to be a helpline, but given that voicemail, it made me think that maybe we need a support group for those who have lost their favorite theme park snacks because I've been there and I am 
I am maybe an empath, I suppose. I feel your pain. That is a horrible feeling when your favorite theme park snack just disappears. You have no control over it. You don't know why. Maybe it'll reappear at a festival for much more money and a smaller portion. You just don't know. And I have been there. They have gotten rid of my favorite things before. I can't even talk about it. It was a food at DCA. I'm very sad. Still still a trauma moment in my life. But I get it. I get it. And I think we need to find an organized way to be there for each other. So for next week, if anyone wants to call in and just publicly mourn a favorite food that they've gotten rid of at the parks. I will gather them together, and we can all share in this community of sometimes joy, sometimes sadness. And RIP your bread pudding. I am so genuinely sorry. Hi, it's me again. I have taken a beat and I have decided that if I don't tell you about the food that I'm still mourning, I'm going to hear about it all week long and it's going to become a thing and I didn't intend to cause drama. So I will just tell you, even though I have been in severe denial for so long, I can't even look at this place anymore because it upsets me so much. I love loved the rice bowl at Lucky Fortune Cookery at Disney California Adventure. I'm truly like dealing with this in real time. Oh my gosh. It was my favorite meal when I'd go there. My friend Katrina introduced me to it. And it is, if you hack your way around it, it is a dream. I would do brown rice, tofu, double vegetables, and then get two sauces on the side with it so you can mix and match. One of them would always be that like coconut curry. And I think there was another, maybe a teriyaki sauce. Oh, it was the best. It was the best. And then it was gone. And I got to tell you, I did not take it well. And I continue to not take it well. I have not eaten there since. When I walk by it, I put blinders up. I put my hand up so I don't have to look at it. So trust me, trust me when I say I get you about this bread pudding. Okay, now I need to go forget this memory of my favorite meal that once was. Okay, bye, next call. My name's Sam from Dallas, Texas. I have spent a ton of time in, well, I grew up in California, so I went to Disneyland a ton. So I know a lot about Disneyland, but I've only been to Disney World twice and both were really short trips unfortunately and I would love to know what your top three or maybe even top five favorite hotels are because I'm just lost all of them seem awesome so I would love to hear what you have to say about the hotels so I really hope you pick that question I love your podcast it's helped me just continue the Disney magic throughout these crazy times uh, I really really just want to thank you so much um, so thanks bye What a wonderful call. Thank you so much. So I kind of dug through the other episodes we've done and I could have sworn, I could have sworn I've answered this question on an earlier episode, but I couldn't find it, which I'm sure somebody in their car is screaming at their screen being like, you've answered this, but I don't have memory of it. So guess what? We're going to answer it again. Now, for those who 
haven't spent a, a large portion of their life inside of a Disney World hotel room like some of us have. There are three different pricing tiers. You have a value resort on the bottom, which is little more no thrills. It's kind of set up motel style where there's a lot of rooms in different buildings and you walk between the buildings. They At Disney, they typically have these big decorations, like larger than life, could be a horror movie if they came to life type of decor theme to, you know, like all-star sports, all-star movies, things like that. Then you have moderates, which the theming there completely varies. So I always recommend to go for the vibe that you most enjoy. My personal favorite of the bunch is Coronado Springs, specifically Grandestino Tower. I think that that makes that a moderate plus. It's a little nicer. You have this really, really new build as part of the resort. It's just, it's nice. And now that it has the lore of NBA players having stayed there, it just feels a little more special. Like if LeBron James can stay in Grandestino and not be like, this hotel's bad, then it means it's good. Like he stays in the fanciest hotels in the world, I bet. So it just co-signs my belief that Grandestino Tower is my favorite Disney hotel. It's just really good. It's really good. And then you have the deluxes. And I had really... Each one pulls at people's heartstrings a little. They have their personal favorites. I vibe most with the Grand Floridian. I just love, I love walking into that hotel. It feels so special. And there's a lot of things there that I can easily critique, like that the Grand Floridian Orchestra is no longer there. Uh, It's a sore spot with me. I'm very upset about it. But the Grand Floridian is just always going to be majestic. Now, I also have become a big supporter of hotels that are not operated by Disney. I think depending on what type of trip you're going on, it can be a really good option, especially if you're driving, which is something that I am newly obsessed with doing. I've always been like a park transportation person, taking Ubers, taking Lyfts. But lately, I just, in the past year, year and a half, I really like having a car. I really like being able to go off campus, one might say. I like going to Wawa to get a seltzer and bring it into the park. It's very thrilling for me. I just like having access to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. Now, all of this is different in a pandemic life. Of course, there's no park hopping. You can only really go to one park a day. So even if you stay at Beach and Yacht Club, it's not like you can go for a nightcap and then walk back to your hotel like you are married to one park each day. But I still love Swan and Dolphin because of their proximity to Hollywood Studios and Epcot. I think the Swan and Dolphin rooms are really great. The bathroom setup is fantastic. I also love their coffee shop, Fuel. I've definitely talked about Fuel on here before. I just really, I really, really, really stand Swan and Dolphin. Even though I don't love the exterior of the building, I do not like Michael Graves' architecture. That's who designed it. But otherwise, Swan and Dolphin is fully one of my top recommendations all the time. And I just have to shout it out because I don't know how big you're going, but Four Seasons Orlando is sometimes cheaper than the Grand Floridian. So if you're truly looking to relax, you just want to go to the park maybe two to three days, you also want to sit by the pool, things like that, that's kind of that's kind of the spot. It's really, really good. And then there's a lot of other, there's so many places. There's so many places. <laughs> I've also stayed at this place, the Grove Resort and Water Park Orlando, which was apartment style setups. And the really neat thing was that if you're driving, you can pull your car up to your floor. The parking garage is kind of inside the building. So you just pull up to say floor nine, 
And then you just get out and then you just go in your room and it's easy peasy. I really, really loved my stay there. So there's so many, so many options. I hope I didn't make this worse, but I do recommend if you're kind of overwhelmed by Disney's own hotels and trying to discern the difference between them, because on that website, you just see like eight square photos and they're, they all seem kind of like locked in time. There's no real people there. Like you just can't really get a feel for it. Check out YouTube videos of room walkthroughs and especially just of what the lobbies are like, what the grounds are like. I think it'll really help you get a good vibe and be able to choose between different hotels at the exact same price point and figure out which works best for you. I hope that was helpful. Thanks for calling. Hey, Carly, this is Blair from Oklahoma. I'm sorry if this completely alienates the rest of your audience, but I was super excited to find out that you also agree that Mission Impossible is the greatest film franchise of all time. So I was curious if you could rank your, your the movies from your favorite to least favorite, and also if you could just list up some of your favorite moments from the movies. I think for me, my favorite to least favorite would be six, five, four, one, three, two. Uh, love the podcast. Thanks for doing what you do, Carly. Okay, yes. I have gotten dozens and dozens and dozens of fantastic Disney calls in the past couple weeks, but a lot of them require a little more work. And honestly, I am down to the wire on getting this episode out. I have to lock it about 48-ish hours before it goes out, and I am very late every week. So we're just going to take this softball and run with it and hope that's cool. Also, I will answer those questions. I just will get an earlier head start on it for next week's episode. Now, I have answered this question once before on my friend Drew Taylor's podcast, Like the Fuse, which is a Mission Impossible specific podcast. Please don't turn this off. I promise I will be quick, okay? Uh, If you kind of vaguely remember his name, he provided that theme music for our mini mysteries a few weeks back. And on his podcast, whenever they have a guest on at the end, you rank the movies and they did not like my rankings. I was really, really sweating it. Like, I remember driving over to record it being like, oh my God, Drew's not going to like this. This is going to be really nerve-wracking. And they did not like it because (laughs) the description of me on episode 63, which is the one I was on, is uh, Carly tells us about this and this and that. And she gives us her movie rankings. Movie rankings. She gives us her hair rankings and movie rankings. Both are controversial. Ranking Tom Cruise's hair and also the MI films. I am even nervous talking about this now, but it's way too inside baseball for this crowd. I'm just going to go with it. And here is what I said on their podcast. So yeah, so, yeah six, four, three, five. Okay. Okay. Two. One. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Well, Whoa. it's been great. Let's <laughs> talk. Let's talk. Drew's left. If you want to listen to 20 full minutes of Drew and Charles, who host the podcast, giving me a hard time, listen to my episode of Light the Views. But I stand behind it. I stand behind it. Mission Impossible Fallout is the greatest film ever made, ever, period. I think it is perfect. I have seen it more times than I can possibly fathom. I watch it whenever I travel, which uh, RIP traveling, I guess. But I used to watch it on every plane ride whenever I was in a hotel, just constantly. I know every beat of that film. And the caller asked for me to pull out my favorite moments. But I think every every moment 
every moment when when Vanessa Kirby gives that look, you know, like she has like her look. And then the part where Tom Cruise is like, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Like, oh, my God, the dial. It's just perfect. It's just perfect. This is not light the fuse, a competitive podcast to them. But I am obsessed. I also don't like the first one, which is a controversial take, but I'm not here for this like low level calm drama or Tom Cruise's young face. Give me death defying stunts. Give me incredible women as sidekicks. Also, Mission Impossible 4 is such a tight ensemble cast. Oh my God. Paula Patton, are you kidding me? She is perfect in that film and that green dress. Ah, it's too, it's too much. I, I, I need to focus on Disney stuff, but Anyway, while I do think parts of MI5 are fantastic, anything with Ilsa is just mwah, perfection. For me, it's just, it's Fallout and it's MI4 and, and the upstairs, downstairs hotel room scene and Benji has so much to do in that and Mission Impossible 3 really grew on me because the stakes feel so real. Solomon Lane is like a bit too soft for my liking, but I really prefer a, a, a villain who has like, has more edge. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman had edge. Also the mask gags, Amazing. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it, but see it if you if you haven't seen it because it's my favorite movie. But the mask gag in, in Mission Impossible Fallout, get out of here. So yes, feel free to drag me if you are a Mission Impossible fan for my ranking. But you know what? That's where I stand and I stand behind it. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it. show thank you all so much for listening and thank you to deborah binack from universal orlando resort and ryan rhodes of custom characters incorporated thank you to everyone who called in on the 747 churros hotline please keep those calls coming remember if i didn't use yours before it doesn't necessarily mean i won't use it in the future so stay tuned in fact a lot of voicemails are so good lately that I have to carve out time this week to do additional research so that I can respond to them. So get amped. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, listen, we'd happily take a five-star rating. We wouldn't want to shy away from that. So maybe while you're there, just subscribe so you get new episodes the moment they drop and maybe even leave a review, perhaps. I want to shout out Yogism. Oh, I'm sorry. Yogi Sim? Yogi Sim? Yogism? Yogi Sim, Millie, different person than Yogi Sim, Horse of Bear, Holly158, Sheena Marie B, Elizabeth E, T. Paris, Diz Mom, and everyone else who recently left a review. It's so appreciated. And you have the added gift that you drown out the rankings from people who give me one star based on who I'm voting for. Real cool, guy. Real cool. No thanks for that review. But because I am a journalist, I also need to acknowledge a very important review left by Alexandra B.D., who happens to be my best friend. Alex wrote, Carly, I've been to Epcot with you, and we definitely went to Canada first. Love the show. Friends, do your dishes, okay? Because I left Alex with dirty bowls and plates for a full school year in college. And frankly, she has a pass to drag me about anything and everything she wants going forward. I have no ground to stand on. She did all of my dishes. 
But why does she remember which way we turned? My bachelorette party was five and a half years ago, and she remembers going to Canada first? Which, in my defense, I will say it was my first visit as an adult. I didn't know any better, and we had a dinner reservation in Mexico, so it made sense at the time to drink the opposite way. But... I want to just provide a formal acknowledgement and apology to whomever I said was doing Disney wrong for going Canada first. I mean, I believe it still, but I have disparaged you. And now that I know I come from the same roots as you, I need to be a bit kinder. So now that I know the way, I I hope to spread that knowledge with you and never be razzed again by my best friend on my podcast. So thank all of you, well, most of you, Alex included, not that other dude, for keeping these reviews fun and uh, for making fun of me publicly because, as I said before, I can't edit them. So if you want to make a joke at my expense, it's going to live there forever. Thank you as well to everyone who signed up for my new Patreon this week. You can find our online VIP party at patreon.com slash Carly It's five bucks a month, which, as I tell them, cheaper than Club 33, right? And there's a whole bunch of fun stuff. So everything about Very Amusing here is going to remain the same. But if you're like, no, this is the end of the podcast and I need more theme park nonsense to get me through the rest of the day, then it might be for you. And I hope you enjoy everything going on over there. I also want to shout out the Fomaly 5K Fundraiser and Raffle, which is going down this weekend, Friday, October 23rd through the 25th. Thank you again to Melinda Welch, who I cannot pronounce her name correctly anytime. I always email her and I'm like, well, I emailed her once. I guess that's an exaggeration. But I emailed her and said, how do I pronounce your name? She said, Welsh, like the, like the fruit juice. And then I realized, I don't know if it's pronounced Welch or Welsh, Welch. So either way, Melinda, you're great. Meredith Miller, Kelly Schumer, Lauren Ballou, and everyone else who has signed up and is ready to run or walk or shimmy their way across the virtual 5K finish line. Also, if you're interested, buy your raffle tickets as soon as possible because we're closing up shop in a few days and you don't want to miss out on these prizes. All the links are in the show notes and on my social media and proceeds, every single dollar of them, will go to help cast members in need through Cast Member Pantry and Second Harvest Food Bank. Follow me on social media at Carly Wiesel on Instagram and Twitter to follow along with the fun all weekend long. Very Amusing is edited sweetly by Jeff Fox. Check back this time next week for part two of this series, when we'll be diving into a lot more technical stuff. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hi, Mom. Hi, honey. I'm here. Yay. Okay. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here. I don't. Are you shocked that it's like leaving a voicemail, but you're here in real life? I might still leave a voicemail afterwards to tell you how I think it went. (laughs) That's not nice. No, it'll be great. I don't love that. I'm very happy to be here. So it'll be great. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't. What do you want to talk about? Um. When the next time I'll see you, because I'm leaving you tomorrow, and I'm very sad about it. That is not podcast-related content, so... Okay, I'm sitting in this room, and it feels like I'm in Wonderland. I have never seen more whimsical things in my whole life. I'm surrounded. Yeah, some people come into my office and are like, this is bad. And then other people are like, ooh, things to look at. This is the greatest I mean, yeah, it's filled with toys. I'll, also, I will add for anyone who's not in the room, which is everyone, there is a 
oil painting or something of my mom as a child? Mm -hmm. Like a chalk? What is that, chalk? That is an oil painting. And that was when I was three years old. And I want you to know it has its own wall. It's about a 16 by 20. And then I'm in back of you with me, you and Mickey. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, because whenever you come to my house, you're always like, where am I? And you always seek out where your placement is. So now that I have the shrine to you on the wall, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I just want to know when I meet tomorrow what goes up on that wall. (laughs) A picture of Morty. I know that future plans have been canceled, sadly, but um, is there anything that was your favorite of all of the trips we've taken? Uh, Context for people who aren't blood related to me and birthed me. My mom is usually with me whenever I'm at Disney World, either in the shadows or waiting in the hotel room for me to finish work. Uh, She's always there. She's a fixture in the background. Sometimes she appears on touring plans. Sometimes she just is online. Um, Sometimes she attacks strangers and asks them where they got their Darth Vader purse, even though she doesn't know who Darth Vader is. She's always there. So what has been your favorite Disney visit? It's really hard because I was going with you so often and Every time is better than the last, and I love it so much. I've done cruises. I've done Magic Kingdom. I've oh, done, yeah, you have done cruises. I sure did. Going down the, ri- <laughs> the Rhine River, that was fabulous. Going to Germany, yeah, it that was, was fun. fabulous. It was. We went on a Adventures by Disney River cruise during li- like when people say like when hell freezes over that's what it felt like it was so cold. cold every photo of me is me wearing like every single thing i packed and my mom's clothes <laughs> you look like the michelin man we put you in your your pants and then my winter pants and then an extra coat that i brought and then you put your red coat over i oh kept it you looked like 700 pounds it was a riot it was very fun but i was very 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 cold <laughs> I also love, because I know that I would never have gone to Paris if it wasn't for you, and you took me to Paris Disney, and that was... Yeah, do you want to... The greatest. Do you, I don't think I've... I don't know if I've told that story here, but do you want to tell people about your 60th birthday trip okay, to Paris? so I was turning 60, Carly thought, and she said, <laughs> for your 60th, I know you wanted to go to Paris. You've been to a lot of places, but never to Paris. But dad is never going to take you. He's just like not romantic, not into it. And you said, well, I didn't say that part. No, I said that part. Yeah. So then you said, okay, for your 60th, I'm taking you to Paris. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. This was like right after a cruise we took together. And we went right from the cruise to Paris. And we're landing and, and just landing in Paris. And all of a sudden, I look at you and I said, Carly, I have something to tell you. You're going to be so pissed at me. And you're like, what? What? Everything's great. I said, Carly, I'm turning 59. <laughs> and you said, I'm glad you said that. You will never get another gift for your 60th birthday when it comes. And then for my 60th, we went to Vegas. So you forgot. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're just milking it for everything it's worth. I'm milking it and having the best time of my life. I mean, the strategy of telling me once there was a point of no return. (laughs) We were landed. (laughs) Where I'm getting my luggage. What did you think I was going to do? Be like, you're turning 59, so the trip is canceled? No, you would have been like, if you would have told me that, we wouldn't have gone this year. That's what you would have said. Yeah, that does not So like I me. was going right yeah, that from our last like trip, flying right to Paris, just kind of warm that in. Oh, my God. It was so good. I Did we go to Disneyland Paris first, or was that? We went there first. Okay. And then we went. Then we did everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Did you, I don't remember if you liked it or not. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. 
Yeah, the first night we went and had the big salad. Oh at that right, place. we stayed there. Right. Yes. Yes. The big salad. The big salad. <laughs> and is so I believe good. it's Annette's, where mm. it's like a, it's a fifties ish diner. It's like if a French person saw Johnny Rockets and was like, "Oh, we can do that," and then put a waitress, one waitress on roller skates. That's the restaurant, and they had a big salad by name. The big salad it was so good. Yeah, then it was we great. went to that candy store. Oh, yes, that's oh right. God, you can get as much as you want. Yeah, the uh, I don't know the name of it. It's the gift shop in the uh, Ratatouille attraction area. So the ride that we're getting at Epcot called Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. It's the original version. Uh, it's called like Le, Le something. It's in French. What is a Remy ride? You know what I'm talking about. And the gift shop has pick and mix. It has like like fill up a bag of candy, which if you've been to Disneyland Paris, you know, it, like becomes a food group because there's not much food. <laughs> It was so good. Within the parks. But, but yeah. You know what I liked a lot, which is crazy to say? They had the best pins out of anywhere yes. in the entire world. Yes, accurate. They did. Oh, they, my God. I got the best, like, fancy ones. Yeah. Like, fancy, fancy real yeah. ones. Yes. Yeah. Some that they wore that they didn't want and they put in the mix. I got great pins. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. We really, yeah. yeah, we got a bounty. Yeah, it was fun. We, I think we did, like, two or two days, two full days. Two days, yeah. Yeah, and then we... Went to Paris and went shopping a little bit. That was fun. Yeah, it was very it was so fun. so great. It was so great. Oh, the best trips. I forgot how you get with pins. I get like a four-year-old get out of my way. Yeah, you're yeah. aggressive. I am aggressive, but I yeah. get them. How about when we were at the Contemporary and it was about 10 oh to God. 11 and we had to catch the boat back yes. at 11 <laughs> and we saw a pin at one of the stores and they were closing in eight minutes and it was... There was no other pin that I wanted to buy. So I went to the store across the way, bought a pin that was inexpensive to trade for the pin that you wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh We made the boat. We did. I remember we (laughs) waited 45 minutes for the boat, but we did make the last boat. Yes, we did. Uh, The pin in question was Gonzo wearing a Mickey Mouse hat, like Mickey Mouse ears, but Gonzo, like Gonzo was a Mouseketeer, which Uh I thought was very cute. And I also was like, I don't need it. And you're like, you're going to want this. And I was like, I don't want it. I don't have any pins. And now it's my favorite one, of course. Of course. I don't know what you fight me, but well, you're right like 70% of the time. And then 30% of the time, it's just like, what were you thinking? Well, I get a few misses, but I do my I just buy you a lot of stuff that I like. And once in a while, you like a few of them. But I don't so. need this stuff. Oh, they're so cute. You'll love it. See, you'll love it. I love when you say, I can't take it. My mom was right. These are like golden words to my ears. I hate this so much. This. this is why I like regaling you to the voicemail. You just leave your audio and then that's it. And then okay. if I'm like, I don't like it, then I, I get full editorial control. But now I have to answer up to everything. Well, I don't make takes. I leave you a message because if I call your phone, your cell phone, you say, don't leave me a message. I'm not going to listen to it. Well, I'm not going to listen to it because every message is, hi, it's mom. Call me back. And it's like, oh, I got the missed call. But... When I leave a message on 747 Churros, yeah, I have to I always, listen. you always like pay attention. I love I have it. to. I have to listen. I'm just going to call you all the time on that number. Yeah, well, people love your calls. I love that. I love your audience. I love my foamers. I love it. I love them. <laughs> oh love God. them. I'm so happy. I'm on everything. I talk to your friends. <laughs> this is great. You gave me life. Oh, my I God. I gave you life. You gave me back yeah, life. Yeah, it's like unleashing a tiger, like opening the cage and just letting them out. I'm so bored all the time. This is so wonderful. It gives me an outlet and I can oh do things. And, yeah. I, so when is our next trip? Um, Once the pandemic is over. I do want to go to Tokyo with you. Yeah. Day. Well, we hopefully would have gone in 2021, which is not 
probably not going to happen for us. Um, I have a plane ticket with my husband what? and you're not invited. When? You're not invited. When? We're supposed to go in May. But we're not going in. If you're going in May, I'm going with. No, you're not. You can't invite yourself on trips with my husband. You're my daughter. Of course yeah, That's not how that works. I'll stay in my room. No. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go to all the little shops with you. I okay, wanna, but oh like that's, that's not the same trip I do with Ben. With Ben, he's like, you get a day. And I'm like, not going to happen. And then I get two days and I am running around the park doing stuff. And I know. I love, I, know. <laughs> I love to run around the park because I do like 10 miles a day on my little heart monitor thing. Yeah. Okay. So well, heads up to everyone listening. My mom keeps a pace at Epcot World Showcase that is unsustainable for me. She is just zipping around in laps. And I'm like, I can't walk this fast, woman. It's so hot out. And I can't walk slow. So I usually meet you somewhere. I have to walk fast. It's Everyone's always like, how do you do it? Even though I don't think I have park stamina anymore. Oh, yes, because you do. No, because it's going to be like, you know, I'm not going as often. I don't have it. But you work out, you walk every day. But park stamina is different. No, if you put popcorn at the end of a couple of miles, it's not a problem. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I'll keep and it up because I'll be like, oh my God, my snacks. Destinations. But I haven't yeah. walked that much in so long. You Yeah, you walk a lot with me. But not Disney walking. Disney's the best walking, best exercise. And I know, you you're always like a country ahead and you're like, I'll catch up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. But I don't like real fast rides. So you'll go on a fast ride and then I'll meet you at the ride after and I will scour all the gift shops in the area. Yes, that is accurate. This is so much fun. Do you need me to come in next month for another session? I no, can... you, uh, what, this no. This is it? This is a one-shot deal? Yes. Okay, let me just say, if the ratings are really good and they want me back, would you have me back? I love you guys so much. Usually I say, like, where can people follow you, but all your stuff is locked down. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, you're you're private on the internet, except that you follow anybody I post and then comment on every photo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And on Facebook, I'm under Audrey Weisel, but I'll take everybody. But for Instagram, I'm only just for you and your friends so I can kind of see what's going on. So you can embed yourself in our lives. Yeah, I'm yeah. in. I'm yeah. here to stay, baby. Yeah. yeah. It's not like you watch my stories to see where I am. I watch everything. Yeah, I know. I read everything. I listen to every podcast. Go quiz your dad. See what he knows. Oh, my God. I love you all. And thank you for listening. You to don't me. have to, to yell. <laughs> oh, I don't have to. Oh, I don't have to. Thank you all so much. I was so excited to be here. And if you give a good review that you'd like to see me again, I can come back. I love you. And if you don't, then she won't. <laughs> How about this? I'll see you real soon. Hey. Oh, that's your line. That's my thing. What's Mickey's thing? Hey. Yep. Okay, bye.